The lunatic is on the grass. The lunatic is on the grass. Remembering games and daisy chains and laughs. Got to keep the lunatic on the path. The lunatic is in the hall. The lunatics are in my hall. The paper holds their folded faces to the floor, and every day the paper boy brings more. Once again, we're presented with a story that is told with presumptions and intimations that are beyond our aesthetic or our common experience, and so we may not understand what is being said. Once again, I have interjected clarifications to state some presumptions and intimations explicitly. There are always such presumptions and intimations in art. These are often derived from the norms of society or our accustomed conceptions of reality, which are so implicit or logical that we do not explain them. There are also sometimes technical conventions in art. In film art, for example, the sequence of shots exploits implicit ideas of storytelling. A cut to another scene is presumed to be simultaneous, parallel action. If it is abrupt, and cues the logic of the plot. But a slow dissolve from one to another scene where another set of subtle intimations suggest to the viewer a significant change in time and place makes a different logic, the flashback. When crosscuts of different scenes were introduced to movies as a sequence of shots, the technique was not immediately accepted in 1903. The audience needed to learn its grammar. Now children who grow up in front of television, their brains steeped deeply and daily with frenetic sound and imagery, will have mastered visual grammar of film edits without any instruction. But I remember how confusing my grandmother found these same frenetic sounds and imagery. There were many movies and TV shows that she simply could not make sense of. She preferred the slow pace and staid stagecraft of soap operas. In the narrative of written and oral storytelling, the essential participation of the audience exploits presumptions and intimations as a matter of craft, for the telling of the tale is an exchange of understandings between the teller and the told. Who listens puts in her mind her own imaginings of what the author implies. Imagination completes the tale. The teller and the told acknowledge this completion implicitly. It is a private understanding between them of matter intimately shared. In the case of this tale, much that is told shall be too alien for intimate sharing of imagination. Presumably the meaning of the strange relationship of Robin and Salmonberry was understood by Mrs. Wilson's own people. The bizarre sequence of murders and mutilations bespeaks matters of the world 
that were self-evident to them, but are not so to us. Instead, the matter of the story seems largely incomprehensible. I am afraid I am going to have to leave to you to take this tale in your imaginings howsoever you may conceive it. I have no explanation for it myself. And if the dam breaks open many years too soon And if there is no room upon the hill And if your head explodes with other bones too I'll see you on the dark side of the moon Robin and Salmonberry told 1891. Robin and Salmonberry were sisters. They lived on opposite sides of one house. Every day they went picking berries. In the evening they came home. Robin's berries were all unripe. Salmonberries were all ripe. Robin used to eat right away all the berries, the ripe ones that she found. They were out often. One day Robin said, Louse me. Then Salmonberry loused her. When she had finished, Salmonberry said, Now you louse me. Robin loused her and said, Oh, your louse is sweet. In the evening they went home. On the next day they did the same thing again. First Robin was loused, and afterwards she loused Salmonberry. They went out often, and Robin said, Oh, younger sister, your louse is so sweet. What do you think? I think I'll eat you. Then I shall wait for you all the time. Now, perhaps Robin meant she wanted to eat her louse, because they tasted so sweet. Perhaps Salmonberry misunderstood and thought she meant to eat all of her. Salmonberry replied, Well, no, your nephews would be poor, because if Robin should eat her, and she should be dead, then Salmonberry's children, Robin's nephews, would be orphans, and indeed poor. They came home, and Salmonberry told her children, That monster said she would eat me, and if she really should eat me, don't stay here any longer, go away at once, else she will eat you also. If she tries to deceive you, do not believe her. Robin's children were all girls. Salmonberry's children were all boys. Robin and her younger sister went out often. One day, Robin came home alone, and behold, she'd cut the neck of her younger sister. Then Salmonberry's sons thought, she has killed her. The name of Salmonberry's eldest son was Wakalaklamai. But Robin claimed she had not killed her little sister. Robin said to her children, Your mother lost her way. One of Salmonberry's sons was small. He was still an infant. It was night. But Salmonberry's eldest son remained awake. He thought that Robin might try to eat them when they were asleep. While he was awake, she arose and went out slowly. She threw Salmonberry's breasts into the fire. 
Then Salmonberry's son said, Oh, my breasts, my breasts. Robin took the breasts out of the fire and said, He dreams of his mother's breasts. Tomorrow I will search for your mother. Five times she tried to throw the breasts into the fire. But that boy saw it every time. He recognized his mother's breasts. On the following morning, she made herself ready and went. Then Sam and Barry's eldest son made a fire. He told Robin's children, let's play. We'll uh, steam each other. You steam us first, then we will steam you. When we say, now we are done, you must take us out of the hole. Robin's children said, well, all right. Sam and Barry's children were put into the hole first. After a little, they were hot. And then the eldest brother said, now we're done. They were taken out of the hole. They were dug out of the hole. Then they made a fire. Then the stones were hot. Robin's children were put into the hole. Then they put dirt on top of them and put large sticks over them. And they said, we're done. But Salmonberry's sons did not take them out. For a little while, they cried. Then they became silent. They were dead. All of Robin's five children were dead. Wakalamokai left them in there until they were all done. Then he took them out. He put the one near the water. He twisted its mouth. The youngest one was put into the water. One he put on top of the house. Another one he placed upright near the door. He put one on the ground and placed it as if it were playing with shells. Then he dug a hole, and they escaped through the hole and came out again. They left their bitch at the entrance of the hole. Now they ran away. At noon, Robin came home, she thought. I will eat him when he comes home. When she approached her house, she saw something floating on the water. She went to her house. There she saw her daughter. She pushed her. Where's your sister? she said. Her finger went right into her child's flesh. She looked up. There was one of her daughters on the roof. Where's your sister? She took her arm and pulled it, and it came out at once. She looked to the beach where one of her daughters was playing with shells, and she pushed her head. Where's your sister? she said. Her head broke off at once. She was dead. Then she ran to the water. She saw her daughter. She was drowned. And she saw the one girl whose mouth was pulled to both sides and thought she was laughing. And she said, You are laughing and your sister is drowned? She pulled her hair. It came out at once. She pulled her youngest daughter. Her legs came out at once. And she tried to pull her ashore. Oh, Wakamalakai has killed my children. She went to the house and searched for them. Where did they go? She did not find their tracks. After some time, she found a dog, a bitch, that belonged to Salmonberry's eldest son. Where did your master go? Woof, said the bitch, pointing with her mouth in one direction. She ran that way. She tried to smell them, but she did not smell anything. Again, she asked the bitch, where did your master go? Woof, 
said the bitch, pointing another way. Robin ran that way and tried the same thing. Five times the bitch deceived her. Then Robin threw her away and found the hole in the ground. She went into it and she found the tracks of the boys and she pursued them. She shouted much while she was going, Wakala Makai brought your mother, and they ran on ahead of her. They ran a long distance, and they all defecated on a log. When one was tired, another one carried their youngest brother. Then they found the skins of two elk bucks. The eldest son of Salmonberry cut them both and broke the antlers. He boiled the skins in one kettle and the antlers in another one. Then he said to the boiling kettles, When she reaches you, you must boil violently. Don't cool off too quickly. Then they left the boiling kettles. Robin went and went and went and pursued them. She came to those excrements. She was hungry and ate them all. Then she went on pursuing them. She came to the kettles. Both of them were boiling. First, she scolded the kettles containing the skins. I will take revenge on your grandmother. She uttered a curse on her. Wee-ya-ha-ya-ya-ya. And on your mother. Wee-ya-ya-ya-ya-ya. And all your relatives. Then it cooled off, and she ate and ate and ate. She ate it all. Then she scolded the kettle containing the antlers. She said the same again. I will take revenge on your father. And on your uncle, your mother, and all your relatives. Then it cooled off. And she ate the antlers. The food was soft. She finished it all and continued to pursue them. Now, Salmonberry's children came to a creek. The crane stood near the water. He carried them across. He told them, Don't be afraid, grandchildren. Go to my house and eat there. Fish have been boiled for you. And they went to Crane's house. Robin went on for a long time. Then her stomach ached. She was constrained to defecate. And she defecated, and a skin rope came out of her anus. She tried to pull it, there she saw a rope, and she tied it to a tree and went around it often. Then she always said this thing to charm it. Wallahootip, halaleptip, wallahootip, halawatip. Now she'd pulled out the one skin, and she went on. After she'd gone some distance, her stomach ached again, and she was compelled to defecate. She defecated, and there lay another skin rope. Again she tied it to a tree and went around it. And she said again, Wallahotep, Halatip, Wallahotep, Halatep. And she was tired. Behold, she'd pulled out the whole rope. Then she went on pursuing them. She went a long distance and her stomach ached again. Something very hard came out pierced her body. She defecated, and out came the antlers. They came out with great difficulty. She went some distance, and her stomach ached again, and she was compelled to defecate, and other antlers came out. 
She was almost dead before the second pair of antlers came out. Then she pursued the children and came to a creek. There the crane was standing near the water. Younger brother, take me across, she said to the crane. She said this often. Then the crane stretched his legs across the water. At one point his leg was narrow. He said to her, Don't be afraid, else you might fall into the water. Now she came across walking on that leg. When she came walking to the middle of the creek, she became afraid, and he began to shake his leg. He turned his leg, and she fell into the water. She drifted down the river. Amasgasa, Robin, shall be your name. You shall not eat people. She drifted down. The crane said to her, Amasgasa, Robin, shall be your name. Far away, she drifted ashore. A crow found her and pecked at her vulva. When she recovered, she arose and painted her belly with the blood from her vulva. It became all red. Then she went inland and came to a willow. She asked the willow, Is my blood becoming? Oh, how bad looks the blood of her vulva, cried the willow. Oh, you bad thing, she said. When your wood is burned, it shall crackle. She came to the alder. Is my blood becoming? The alder said, It is becoming. Ah, sister, she said, When people make anything, they shall dye it red in your bark. When you are dry, you will burn well. She went on and came to the cottonwood. She asked it, Is my blood becoming? Cottonwood said, Oh, how bad looks the blood of her vulva. Oh, you bad thing. When you are put into fire, you shall not burn. She came to the spruce tree. Is my blood becoming? Oh, how bad looks the blood of her vulva. Oh, you bad thing. When you are put into fire, you shall not burn well, you shall crackle. She left it and came to the cedar. She asked it, Is my blood becoming? It is becoming. Oh, you speak well to me, younger brother. When people make canoes, they shall exchange them for slaves. They shall use you for making houses and exchange them for dentelia. They shall use your bark for making coats for women. She left it and came to the fir, and she asked it, Is my blood becoming? Oh, it is becoming. Oh, younger sister, she said, When a person sings his conjurer's song, You shall be burned, you shall burn well. She came to the maple. Is my blood becoming? It is becoming. Oh, younger brother, they shall use your bark for making baskets. She left it and came to the vine maple. Is my blood becoming? Oh, it is becoming. Oh, younger brother, they shall use you for making dishes and spoons. Then she came to the hemlock tree. Is my blood becoming? The hemlock replied, How bad looks the blood of her vulva? Thus she asked all the trees. 
That's the story. Tomorrow we shall have fine weather. The lunatic is in my head. <laughs> the lunatic is in my head. You raise the blade. You make the change. You rearrange me till I'm sane You lock the door Throw away the key There's someone in my head But it's not me I'm